0: You're listening to the Impact Lenders Podcast, the podcast for people and institutions using lending for good. Welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to the Impact Lenders Podcast. This is Peter Shafing of High Impact Financial Analysis, and I'm very excited to introduce some real legends of the CDFI industry today. Before I do that, let me set the stage for a moment. CDFIs are designed to deliver capital where it's most needed and where other resources for it don't exist. That said, if you were to look at a map of where the most CDFI lending activity occurs, you'd see heavy concentrations in major population centers, places like New York, DC, and LA. And I can tell you from our experience at High Impact that that is in fact where we see the most deals. But what about the smaller cities around the country, the 50,000 to 100,000 person metros across the Midwest, the Southeast, and elsewhere? The fact is, it can be hard for CDFIs to serve metros of that size. While there are very likely small businesses and community development projects in those areas that need CDFI financing, there's likely not enough deal volume to sustain a CDFI focus there. Aside from that, CDFIs know that local knowledge is one of their key competencies. So going into a smaller, unfamiliar market can be tough. Today's podcast focuses on a new solution to that very problem. These smaller cities are indeed an area of greatest need, but CDFIs now generally struggle to reach them. And that's where CDFI-friendly cities and CDFI-friendly America come in. What do we mean by that? To answer that question, let's bring in our guests and dive into this a bit more deeply. So Mark and Adina, welcome. Great to have you here. Thank you.
1: It's great to be here.
0: Sure. And Mark Pinsky, you are a luminary of our field, by my measure, someone who probably needs no introduction. So Mark, why don't you share a little bit about yourself for those few listeners here who don't know who you are?
1: Well, thank you. It's, it's, um, it's great to be part of this conversation, be able to talk about the ever-growing and ever-changing opportunities in the CDFI space. Um, I spent about 25 years uh, in various leadership roles in the CDFI industry um, and was had the good fortune to work with many wonderful people and be part of many great opportunities. Um, since 2016, I've run my own strategic advisory consulting firm called 5-4 Advisors, um, where I have worked on some CDFI issues, but some non-CDFI issues as well. And it's been, it's been good to stretch my legs or stretch my brain in that way. Yep. And um, most interesting to me right now, and where my, most of my focus is, is the idea that we are launching CDFI Friendly America, which is a partnership that Adina and I have started to try to figure out how to expand CDFI coverage into smaller market communities.
0: Mm-hmm. Excellent, yeah, I'm excited to, to dig into that more. And Adina Abramowitz is our other guest today. I know her as a fellow consultant in the industry, someone that seems to work with just about every CDFI out there, but Adina, I know you had a whole career in the industry before I ever met you, so why don't you fill our listeners in a bit on that.
2: Sure, thank you very much. Yeah, I like to joke that um, by working in this industry, I know more and more about less and less. I've been (laughs) in the industry since 1987 when I was the initial executive director of a small business CDFI in Camden, New Jersey called CBAC, which still exists and is still serving that community. Um, gotcha. Then I worked for, with Mark at OFN for about 10 years. And for the last 14 years, I've been an independent consultant working with CDFIs all over the country. A lot of which is related to strategic planning and other kinds of management consulting to help CDFIs grow. Mm-hmm. Excellent. You
0: know, like I said, I feel like I've I run into you a lot. A lot of, I think we have a, yes. a few clients in common. Yes, we so, do. So I want to get into the, this issue. So I started off talking about the problem of getting CDFIs into smaller cities. So Mark, why don't you give us a little more background on that problem? What makes it such an issue? Um,
1: absolutely. Um, there there's sort of two ways to go at it. But let me start with the biggest picture of you, which is if you step back as you did a little bit at the beginning of this uh, podcast, Peter, if you step back What you see is there are somewhere around 1,100 CDFIs in this country managing now, according to the CDFI Fund, more than $180 billion. Um, And there are, at the same time, some number, tens of thousands of communities that have never seen a CDFI or a CDFI transaction. Mm -hmm. And um, as you pointed out, many of them, not all of them, many of them would benefit from having CDFI financing. Um, We know that CDFIs have a desire and a capacity to expand in their geographies and the markets that they serve. Um and uh we also know that they have constraints in their ability to do that because it's expensive and hard to 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 yeah. um to carry out. Um so if you're in a if you're a smaller market community, a city or a town, fifty thousand, hundred thousand, hundred thousand, or even a little bit larger, you kinda and, and you think you want CDFI financing, you, you, you kinda have four options um of what you can do. The first is you can ask your local financial institutions, mainstream financial institutions, to behave differently and do things differently, and that rarely happens. Um, Sure. Um, although yeah. you know in some cases there are some changes second is you can recruit and fund a CDFI from elsewhere to come in to operate in your community and that can be a great solution if you have a if you have a discrete challenge if for example your need is small business financing but you don't need housing financing or community facilities um, and the CDFI is willing to do it and you can but you can budget to pay for it and you know it, it all works um, and that the the organization is uh, able and willing to put somebody on the ground there, because as you said earlier, that local engagement, local knowledge is critical. Yeah. Um, third is you can start a new CDFI, which is um, a knee-jerk reaction that a lot of communities have had with mixed success, um, but it's very difficult to do, as everybody knows. It gets the people and, excited,
0: though, you know? It's something to, <laughs> well, to it, it,
1: yeah, it's something It's something to build and be proud of, and, and that's a good thing. But in a pragmatic sense, we've seen over over decades now a real change in how how cdfis work in communities there's much more geographic expansion much fewer um, new startups de novo cdfis yeah. and then you know you start a new cdfi and if you're really good at it then within 2 or 3 years you can start doing a significant volume of lending and if there's enough lending there and a, enough of a pipeline to support what you're doing you can actually support your operations and get something going. But then you've got generally, in most cases, you're going to have a CDFI doing one asset type and not doing the other asset types. And so it's a long road. And so the fourth one is the one that we're really focused on, which is how do you make a community CDFI friendly to reduce the cost, reduce the friction, make it easier for CDFIs to find and finance uh, transactions in uh, in your town, in your community. Um, mm-hmm. And also how do it, it also enables you to not just focus on one asset group, small business, or affordable housing, but if there are CDFIs who are interested, if you have real demand, CDFIs will come. We believe, and if yeah, you have um, if you have um, you know multiple types of financing needs and financing gaps, um, you can you can if you do it well, we think you can bring in the CDFIs you need to do the kind of financing you need when you need it but without having to carry, you know, sort of carry the load of, of multiple CDFI infrastructures. So, yeah. So, so that's what, you know, that's really what we're trying to get at.
0: Yeah. So that's really the, the core of CDFI-friendly cities is you want to prepare cities to uh, kind of smooth the road for CDFIs to get involved, who might be out of market but have products that would serve that market, um, and, and but, but there are barriers for those CDFIs to get in.
1: Yeah. And, and we've seen CDFIs um, be really innovative about um, how they expand what they do in multiple ways. There's some limits to mm-hmm. it. Um, and, um, um, you know, we've seen some real success in that. We've seen the CDFI fund really prioritize the idea that CDF, existing CDFIs can serve new markets. Um, but yeah. we need to do, it we, we, we won't just happen on its own beyond a certain point. We think there's, as we said, you know, potentially thousands of communities that could benefit from this. And yeah. so it's going to take more than just uh, wait, you know, wait, wait to see what happens. Kind of Absolutely.
0: Home. And I think this really is, is a sign of the continuing maturing of the industry that now we have a network of CDFIs that's so broad that, that maybe we don't need a lot more new CDFIs. And instead, communities can benefit on a much quicker timescale and with, with more diversified product base by, by tapping into the community that's already there. The network of CDFIs
2: is already there. Yeah, Adina, you um, wanna take that? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, many CDFIs are looking for new markets and trying to figure out um, ways to get into new markets and trying to figure out um, how do they understand local, the local nuances of these markets that are new to them. Um, and uh, so I think, yeah, this no. is, this is tr- a solution both on the CDFI side and on the community side that answers a significant, significant challenge.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I, I've,
1: I've, I've got to say about that, Peter, that in every conversation we've had both on the CDFI side and with local community leaders and in different communities, everybody sees it. Everybody understands that, that, you know, this makes a lot of sense. So the challenge is figuring out how to do it and how to do it well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then that's where you guys come in. So uh, I want to give our, our listeners an example of, of how this has already been implemented. So, um, Let's set the stage a little bit. So, Mark, you get a call from, a, from an old friend who is now the mayor of Bloomington, Indiana, right? right. And he wants to start a CDFI. I and mean, then you kind of help him along this path of maybe, <laughs> that's not, maybe that's not the quickest, best way to, to approach this problem. T- tell us about that.
1: Sure. It was uh, April or May of 2017. And John Hamilton, who's now the mayor, was then the mayor, is now the mayor of Bloomington, Indiana, uh, gave me a call, and uh, John was uh, started a couple of CDFIs in Washington, D.C., so he's the, that rare exception, the CDFI mayor, and um, he, had, he understood what he was talking about, and what he was getting into, and he really thought, um, and in fact as part of his campaign to get elected, had promised the idea of a CDFI there to meet some financing gaps, and they're particularly focused at the time on small business. And he said, you know, Mark, we've known each other for a long time, you know, you, you know a lot about CDFIs, can you help us? And will you help us? I said, I can help you. And I, of course, I'll help you because you're a you're good, good person, doing great things, and yeah. you're my friend. But what a really bad idea. And <laughs> um, he, he laughed, sort of. And um, <laughs> well, we, what a shame
0: that somebody was able to sell people on CDFIs and you had to like, walk it back.
1: Well, I mean, the, the reality was, and he knew it when we talked through it, we've, t- we just talked about it last week, actually, again, but, but he knew that, you know, it's a Bloomington is a city of about forty forty five thousand 45,000 residents, plus okay. about forty forty five thousand mm-hmm. 45,000 students, um, that the ability of that market to support a CDFI was was uh, far from certain. And you know, so we talked about the broader region, um, the mid sort of south central Indiana market. And that area is about 400,000 people, also still not enough to really support a, a market. Um, some of the CDFIs I know that have worked in smaller markets say you need, you know, really you need a, a, a sort of catchment of several million people. To really okay. be able to know you're going to be able to support it and offer diverse products. Yeah. So so we agreed that we would um, come back to his sort of working group and look at a few options. One of them was, as I said, one was start their own, which is what they thought they wanted to do. Second was to recruit a CDFI in. They were talking about Sennair and they were talking about IFF and, and uh, some other CDFIs. Okay, and, so get like a local... Office yeah local office, which was great if they could do it as long as that met their their um, the, the credit needs they believed were there and they could identify and document um, otherwise they'd have the you know the the wrong solution for the right problem and, and mm-hmm. um oh you know the third was I said you know where you could become america's first cdFI friendly community and I didn't actually know what I was talking about but I had an idea and I've been thinking about this for some time because the CDFI coverage issue has been around for a long time. Yeah. So we you know it was a process. We went through Adina joined me in the process and we went through the process both of talking both educating or not both we went through the process of educating the local leaders there, the civic leaders, the business leaders, the community leaders, government leaders, about what CDFIs really are and what they do and what they don't do. Um, we talked mm-hmm. about the options for bringing in a CDFI and what that could do and what it could, you know, where it might be a challenge. Um, and then we talked about what it might mean to be a CDFI-friendly community. And the more we talked about it, the more we liked it. Um, eventually, um, we, brought, we had a convening there in November of 2017, where we not only had the local folks together, but we brought in CDFIs from around the country. So Dan Betancourt came in from Community First Fund. He's one of the people very right. focused on small cities. Yeah. Um, and we had some of the national investors come in. So Allison Clark was there from the MacArthur Foundation at Dan Latendra bank of america megan tier from wells fargo and um they brought a perspective that i think really helped everyone in the community understand why uh, a cdfi friendly approach would be a good approach so we did that it took us about a year um with some in-depth research from medina where she can tell you about that where we looked at the question of whether small business was a good idea or not and a year later we we incorporated or they incorporated cdfi friendly bloomington which is up and running it's it's closed I think one deal and has a few more in the pipeline that it's moving on, so um, it's yeah. happening yeah, so
0: let let's pinpoint a little more what exactly cd5 friendly bloomington is so it's a it's an independent nonprofit organization right mm-hmm. and it's a, not a cdFI but it does have some financing uh at its at its uh disposal
1: right that's yeah. right we, so
2: yeah, so a, a cdFI friendly entity has two main resources at its hands it has. A person, a community development professional who will help organize the market and will help uh, find the deals and make the matches with CDFIs and figure out, help the CDFIs understand the nuance of the local market. And it also Mm -hmm. has a credit enhancement fund that can help CDFIs get over any reservations they have about big and complicated deals. So um, CDFI Bloomington has hired its executive director, Brian Payne, who used to work for the city and was involved with us from the beginning. Okay. Um, so you're a key and, local
0: knowledge person.
2: Exactly. And um, has a credit enhancement fund. And um, they were involved in that first quite complex deal, uh, which was an affordable housing deal. So those are the two components. Um, it's mm-hmm. a what a critical component of it is like a, it is like a CDFI, but it is not a CDFI. In the sense, it is like a CDFI in that it's separated from government. It has that market, local mm-hmm. market knowledge. It has some financing capacity, but it's not trying to drive deals. Uh, they are not trying to compete with CDFI. So if they do participate um, with their credit enhancement fund, it's at the request of a CDFI, okay. and it would be in equal position with a CDFI. But they would not. Underwritten deal independently of a CDFI already being interested in it. Yeah, yeah, got
0: it. So uh, to get this started, I imagine there was some city support, some grant support. What what was kind of necessary to to fund the the kickoff of this, and then does it become self sustaining, or is it something that always needs a little extra support?
1: So the what what had happened was that the mayor Mayor Hamilton had turned to Tina Peterson, who runs the Community Foundation of Bloomington in Monroe County, um, who's a very respected leader and a terrific leader. And um, John, John Mayor Hamilton, knew that this, from a CDFI experience, he knew this couldn't be a government entity. He knew that it wouldn't work, that it wouldn't be able to function, and people would lean on it in a different way, and it wouldn't engage um, on a level field. It wouldn't engage all the community players. So yeah. he turned to Tina and said, uh, we'll put up, uh, the city will put up, seventy five thousand dollars if um, if the um, if the community Foundation will match us with the idea of starting a CDFI so that was their startup fund they put it into they repurpose that um, and uh, you know use that money to sort of do the work internal and external external being. Um, what was then done through 5-4 advisors, in the future mm-hmm. would be done through CDFI Friendly America, um, to really help them go through the process of understanding cdfis the process I talked about earlier. So, so they did require some money to do that. Um, they also then had to raise some money for operations uh, going forward, and they will continue to need money for operations. I think the calculus that every community has to do, if they're thinking about this, is um, – you know, is, is not whether it costs a little bit of money, but what do they get for that money? And so Bloomington, for example, and this is, this is um, they have some special circumstances there, but in Bloomington, they're trying to do $50 million in new CDFI financing over five years. Um, That's wouldn't have happened. Otherwise there's, it just, you know, wouldn't have gotten done. And that's a lot of return. If they're able to get even close to that, that's a lot of return on a small amount of expenditure, um, but the idea here is that it's an enhancement to how CDFIs work. It's cheaper than it would probably be to try and support us. It's certainly cheaper than start supporting a, a de novo CDFI and probably mm-hmm. cheaper than bringing somebody in from an outside office. Plus, if it doesn't work or it's not necessary for any reason, you know, it's it's easier to go away. I um, yeah. think that's yeah, going to happen. But, but, you know, it's, they're, they're, this is a new model and they pr- were pr- right to be prudent about how do they approach this? So there'll be some ongoing subsidy of the operations of this, um, but it will be beneficial on both sides of the table from a CDFI perspective, as well as from the from the community perspective. But it also is a great enhancement to a lot of the local community groups um, that are looking for help there because what it what yeah. it does is it, it goes out and finds a CDFI that not only, it doesn't only bring money to the table, it brings expertise. So one of the yeah. things that we heard a lot in Bloomington and in South Bend was, you know, you get CDFIs around the table and um, they have experience doing these deals that you know, might not be familiar to, you know, to the local banks or others. In fact, we know they're not familiar. And the CDFIs have solutions that they tried and tested. And they have this remarkable CDFI industry to draw in because we all know that CDFI industry is incredibly generous about sharing ideas and suggestions and helping one another. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, no, that would make for such an interesting study down the road to look at a place like Bloomington and then look at a comparable city that doesn't have the infrastructure of CDFI-friendly Bloomington in it and just see how you know the nonprofit ecosystem changes. See how community development changes. Small business growth changes. I got to think that's like you said. It's a high. It, it's a high leverage model. Something that can really uh, be the spark of a lot, even just beyond the projects that it directly touches.
1: I think so. And I would just say, you know, what we hope is that we'll be able to do a case study of 20 CDFI friendly communities yep. you know, against 20 comparisons. And what, what I mean by that is, I think, like most things in community development, when you've seen one community development friendly community, you've seen one community development friendly, one CDFI friendly community. And, um, you know, they're, they're unique and they're built around what's special about Bloomington or what's special about South Bend or any of the other places where we hope to work.
0: Yeah. All right, well, I'm excited to talk about how this idea is going to spread across the country, but first let's take a quick break and we will be right back to the discussion. And now a word from this week's sponsor, High Impact's analytics team. Timely, accurate, and impactful? Is that how you would describe your portfolio reporting? If not, it's time to talk to High Impact. Our Excel-based portfolio tool transforms your data into board-ready reports highlighting the trends and risk factors that matter most. Using an intuitive user interface and automated analytics, our model can cut portfolio reporting time to under an hour. And because we use a database approach, you can analyze trends and historical results all in a single model. There's power in the data your organization is collecting. High Impact can help you unlock it. Email analysis at highimpactanalysis.com to learn more. All right, so we're back to the conversation now with Mark Kinski and Dina Romwitz. And i got to say, one of the things that I love the most about the CFI industry is that you run into very interesting people. There's a lot of great personalities in the field, and uh, it's what makes the work a lot of fun. So I want to give our listeners a chance to get to know you guys a little bit more. Uh, So we had some intros at the beginning, but uh, I'd love to hear from each of you. What was your first job in the industry, and what made you interested in it?
2: So, my first job, this is Adina, my first job in the industry was um, actually, before I was involved in Camden, I worked for a company called PACE, and we uh, organized and financed uh, worker-owned businesses, mostly co-ops. Mm-hmm. And um, as part of that, we created a tiny little loan fund called the InterpaCE Revolving Loan Fund. And uh, because we had that entity as part of our tool of resources, you know our toolkit, I actually attended the very first conference of the organization that eventually became called OFN, then called the National Association of Community Development Loan Funds. And at that conference, I met um, Julie Eads from New Hampshire Community Loan Fund. And I'm pretty sure I met Gerald Sherman. I know I met a Native American. That was my first experience meeting a Native American. I'm pretty sure it was Gerald. Um, And a few other people who are still involved in the industry. So that was my very, very first job. but Really when I got involved in it, it was through getting that job in Camden um, as the executive director of a new organization. Um, and <laughs> Nothing will get you involved more quickly than that. Yes, <laughs> and that, yeah, so that was in 1987. Um, okay. That's
0: great, yeah, the roots of the industry are, are deep and I've really enjoyed learning more about that. Uh, really this year with Cliff Rosenthal's book and I'm talking to different people, so. So Mark, how about you? What was your first, what was your big break in the industry?
1: Well, my big break was a recognizable break, which is that I got hired um, as a consultant by what was then NACDLF by Martin Paul Trimble, who's the executive director at the time, to help think about a public policy strategy for the CDFI industry. We didn't call it the CDFI industry then, just for the record, but for the CDFI industry. and. Um, uh, maybe a month later, Bill Clinton stood outside in Chicago and said he wanted to create what became the CDFI fund. And Mm -hmm. I wrote, I wrote uh, the, the coordination of the industry's effort. That was my job was, was coordinating the effort of this, of the industry to create what became the CDFI fund. So uh, that was, you know, I I wrote a tsunami and uh, (laughs) you know, and it was, uh, I was very lucky to be in, in that place, working with those people, extraordinary people with you know, just enough track record to do it. So that that's how
0: I sort of stumbled my way into this industry. But I love I love to to hear that that origin story and that, that of course it you know, led to you eventually leading the successor organization right OFN correct and, and much more from there. So that's
1: right. I went. I, that was in ninety one ninety no ninety two that started and then in ninety five I, I went to become executive director
0: of. Uh, it
1: was still NACDLF at the time, but that's right. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. And we've referenced Bill Clinton's campaign, and now the the, the Bloomington mayor's campaign that that both ran on the CDFI platform. Are there any other campaigns in US U.S. <laughs> that had the CDFI platform? Oh,
1: that's a good question. Um, I, you know there are a number of governors over the years who have created okay. CDFI programs and. They, they have come up in campaigns what 's really interesting about them is i, I don 't know if this is still true, but up to a few years ago, every one of them who had created a state CDFI program was a republican um, and huh. there 's an interesting lesson in there um, yeah. at some level but um, but it is very much i mean it 's to go off topic a little bit but it 's really important to understand that cdfis um, are are deeply embraced really by politicians who may want them to be a little bit more this and a little bit more that. Um, but of both parties. And it really is a bipartisan effort.
0: Yeah. You don't, you don't come across that too often these days. No, you don't. Yep. Okay. Let's do a a couple rapid fire here. A project you were involved in that you are especially proud of
2: Dina. Uh, Probably the project I'm most proud of is all the various things that I was able to work on in native country to help bring CDFIs there. And now there's 70 plus native CDFIs and they're really, uh, being successful in introducing a private sector economy and home yeah, ownership and all sorts of other developments in the country.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and I bet there's lessons there for, for serving uh, a smaller population that, that might translate here with CDFI from the yes, cities. Yeah,
2: I think that's probably right. Yeah,
0: yeah. Mark, how about you?
1: Well, I have to say of all the things I've done and um, I've been fortunate to be involved in a lot of really interesting things, the CDFI fund is the thing that I'm without a doubt proud of, most proud of. You know, if it weren't for the CDFI fund, I think that the billion dollar industry that we were, if we stretched our, you know, our imagination in 1992 would be a $20 billion industry today. And instead it's a, you know, $186 billion industry yep. uh, or it might not be here at all. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, in, in another way, I'm, I'm most proud of, getting the Clinton White House and the people on Capitol Hill to believe that we were actually somebody real. and doing, You know, we, had, we, were, we were a real industry. Um, there's some great stories to tell about, um, about the, the, the perception that we were actually, you know, sort of a powerful Washington lobby of
0: some sort, which couldn't have been further from the truth. <laughs> that's awesome. Man, I don't mean to chuckle. that's <laughs> true. Yeah, that's it yeah, surprising. That's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay, how about a CDFI or a person uh, in the industry that you think doesn't get enough credit for the work do?
2: So one CDFI that I work with that I uh, think should get more credit is uh, the Business Center for New Americans. They're about to change their name, okay. but they're a group in New York that serve immigrants and refugees and make uh, microloans and small business loans and IDAs and financial education and basically try to smooth the way to financial uh, self-sufficiency for immigrants and refugees. and um, Oh, uh, the staff speaks umpteen languages and mm, they, mm, they mm. do outreach to all different communities in New York City. Yeah,
0: yeah, what an important resource right now. Geez. That's great. Are they, and what are they changing their name to so we know how to recognize uh, them? They, they, they
2: haven't decided yet, but it's oh, okay. It's like two or three, they're down. They're in that mode of, you know, they know what their top two or three are. Okay. okay. So okay. You'll, have to,
1: you'll have to have them on the podcast when they come up with their new yeah,
2: name. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. There yeah. we go. We can do the big unveil. <laughs> yeah.
0: Mark,
1: how about you? Um, without a doubt for me, it's Sister Corrine Florick, um, who was one of the earliest, one of the group of earliest faith based investors in the CDFI space. She worked at a CDFI before she was an investor. Um, she's um, not only done an extraordinary amount of, amount of investing and an incredible amount of um, sort of innovation in it, she's been the moral uh, compass, if you will, the, the true north for this industry for a long, long, long time. And um, you know, I think we tend to forget. I think everybody who comes to the CDFI industry comes with a sense of purpose and mission. But I think it's really worth stepping back and remembering the really fundamental role that faith-based investor played in making sure that what we do and it's and it was and remains rooted in um, a strong sense of, of uh, sort of moral finance. So, um, yeah. and you know, and uh, Corrine is actually retiring in this year, so it's a good time to remember her. But I. I think any opportunity you have to hear from her or go back and look at her speeches and her talks, uh, they are, to me, the, the, you know, the, the, the thing that's probably the, the strongest, or the, 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 the most secure anchor we have.
0: Yeah. That's great. That's great. I'm glad you, I'm glad you bring her up. Um, Mark, if you can find some, if you can dig some up, we'll link them on the, on the show page so people can, can get to know her a little bit.
1: I'd be glad to. I have I have a I have a secret stash of them, so. I'm happy. <laughs>
0: perfect, <laughs> perfect. All right, last question: favorite book, podcast, other than the Impact Lenders podcast, we all know that's number one, mm-hmm. uh, or news resource on the industry that you like to, to
2: look to. Um, I like to listen to um, the podcast that Sinair puts out about community connections. Mm-hmm. They're off. They're about um, interesting community development developments. Um, in, you know, ideas, projects. Um, and it's a very engaging podcast, comes out about once a month.
0: That's right. And Sonair was the, the first lender on the the uh, CD five friendly Bloomington project that closed, right? That is right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Good for them. Mark, what about you?
1: Well, I'll answer that in two parts. I actually think that podcasts are really interesting. This is a place where CDFI industry has always lacked for good news flow, um, good information mm-hmm. flow in mm-hmm. some way. It's always been a challenge. And I think podcasts are breaking through that a little bit so I commend you for doing this but I I really started just because there's always too
0: much to read I just can't get through it all
1: (laughs) yeah no well I think that's right but I also think that you know hearing things in real in people's real voices some years ago at OFN when we did the 30th anniversary. I can't remember what year it was. Um, yeah, it must have been the 30th anniversary. Um, you know, I had a chance to do a series of interviews. We didn't really do them as podcasts, but we, we you know, made them available. And this, you know, it's really important to hear people in their own voices. So I, I, I'm a big fan of that. And, you know, I, I for a little bit of self-promotion, I published a book last year, which is based on my CDFI experience, but not just about CDFIs, called Organized Money. Um, and um, I think that's a book that really looks forward and says, as does CDFI Friendly America, looks forward and says, where do we go from here? Yeah. So, I, you know, I, 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 I'm still reading. I'm still rereading that. Just a-
0: yeah, <laughs> perfect. Yeah, no, I know it's on my list. We'll link that on the website as well. Wonderful. Thanks. Uh, and, and you've got a, a co-author from a, CD, from a B Corp bank, which I love. So,
1: Yeah, Keith so Mestrick, great. who runs Amalgamated Bank, which is the largest socially responsible bank in the United States, has become a really Be good friend than- and a really good ally.
0: That's great. All right, well, let's get back to the topic at hand here, CDFI-friendly cities. So,
2: Adina, we've, got, we've talked about how it started.
0: Uh, I think we have a pretty good idea now of, of what it means to be a CDFI-friendly city and what, what a nonprofit that is a CDFI-friendly city entity does. Uh, so tell me now, how are you replicating it? What's the plan and what have you done so far?
2: Sure, thanks. So um, the first thing is for the last year, we've been working in South Bend, Indiana, doing a similar okay. process. Um, And they have gone through three out of the four steps of starting a CDFI-friendly. We did an assessment, and then we did an organizing effort, which is really about educating uh, key stakeholders about what CDFIs can and can't do, and Mm -hmm. sort of shaking loose the idea that A, CDFIs really can do deals that banks can't do, and B, that CDFIs don't give grants or don't give 0% loan. I uh, get them to understand that we are a financial institution. Um, and then the third part was business planning. We completed the business plan and uh, that's been reviewed and accepted by all the various stakeholders. And now we're in the process of implementation. Yeah. Um, so that'll be our second CDFI friendly city, hopefully um, be open, ready and open for business mid year. Um, and then oh, wow. Mark, Mark and I have formed a, um, partnership that we're calling CDFI friendly America to figure uh, to to be a vehicle to um, spread this concept and do CDFI friendly organizing in more communities and maybe even one outside of the state of Indiana. Yeah. <laughs> so CDFI friendly
0: Indiana is quickly getting ahead of the curve.
2: Right, right. They are they are the the boom state for CDFI friendly right now. But there's no there's nothing about Indiana that makes them special except for the fact that uh, the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago um, was out in front of this concept and promoted it and some cities okay. in Indiana got excited about it. Yeah. But we think it could work anywhere in the country um, in a city of uh, 25 to 250,000 people that's not near, a CDF- not near a CDFI or doesn't have enough CDFI activity and that um, you know has a significant long-term population. Um, and we're... Developing a marketing campaign and yeah. a website and hope to launch by the end of this month, beginning of next month.
0: The start of February, okay. And so um, you talked a little bit
2: about the, the implementation
0: strategy in uh, in South Bend and that's kind of a, a set strategy that you think is going to be Kind of how it how things unfold in different cities. So why don't you run through those steps one more time.
2: Sure So we'll start with an assessment um, This is a quick could can be a very quick process um, to, you know, where we talk to several of the stakeholders, do a little preliminary data research about the location. Yeah. Um, and what we're looking for there is to just to see, um, is it the right size? Um, what CDFI activity has or hasn't happened there in the past? Um, what CDFIs are or aren't located nearby? Um, mm-hmm. And do, does the pri- do the private and the public sector talk to one another? We feel like that's mm-hmm. a pretty important component to make this work. Uh, Do they cooperate with one another have projects with one another. Um, Those are the criteria we figured out so far for an assessment and um, that was the both were both all those things were present in both of the cities we worked in so far. Yeah, Um, then we move into a phase of what we call organizing, which is um, talking to all the groups. All this, as many stakeholders as we can, and repeating over and over again, what is a CDFI, what can it do, what can't it do? Sometimes this includes convincing them that they don't want to start their own CDFI, that the CDFI-friendly <laughs> approach is better. Um, yeah. It often includes um, introducing them to nearby CDFIs and sort of real-life okay. examples. Um, and who are the who are the most critical
0: stakeholders that you really want to get to in the in this initial phase?
2: Sure so um, even before this phase, we've probably engaged the high up people high up in the city administration. We feel like that's really important to have that support from the beginning. Um, and then during the organizing phase, it's a lot of talking with bankers, talking with community organizations, c- talking with technical assistance providers of various sorts like, Homeownership counselors and SBDCs and all those kinds of groups to understand Mm -hmm. better, help them understand, for us to understand what their challenges are, and for them to understand um, about this possible solution and would it help them. Okay, great.
0: So that's the first two, and then we you move to
2: business plan, right? Then we go into business planning, which is our. At this point, we're already starting to approach potential funders for the future. Uh, organization mm-hmm. and making sure there will be that kind of financial support, but we'll are also developing a keener um, understanding of the market and what what are some of the problems and what are some of the CDFI solutions spending a lot t- more time in this space talking with um, market players uh, developers um, again the technical assistance providers and yeah. also the CDfis in the region yeah.
0: um,
2: to see if those marriages could be made um, and then the business planning phase concludes um, with distributing it to all the important stakeholders and then implementation stage starts. Okay,
1: got it. And, the, and the implementation stage is really critical in that you have a lot of people who are very committed to the concept and they're very busy and they have other jobs and suddenly there's this new thing that's a little, they get it, but it's a little different and they're not sure. And you know, there's, a, there's yeah. a whole lot of work that has to get done just to support them as they stand up you are operations. you know,
0: operation. Yeah, plus, yeah.
2: well, plus, most likely, the whole reason they've called on us is that they don't really understand that much about CDFIs. So what's mm-hmm. very intuitive to us and seems supernatural to Mark and myself is not to them. So we think us getting involved in that state, staying involved in that stage will help it go quicker, faster, smoother. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean that's the that's a, that's where the rubber beats the road, and the ability to to talk CDFI and talk community in the same sentence is really critical. And of course, um, CDFIs are very good at that in most instances, you know, in the communities where they work. But there's a little bit different, so there's a little bit of translation, there's a little bit of intermediation. Um, but the goal here is to get our you know get ourselves out of the way.
0: Yeah. So for the CDFI listeners uh, who are thinking. Oh we you know, there's this one city nearby that we keep getting requests from, but we don't really work in. You know what should they do to consider is this a city that could benefit from this? What's kind of their their first step?
2: Well, we'd love it if they would just they would be in touch with us and have a conversation with either yeah. Mark or myself um, and um, let us know who the people in the city are that they've been talking with, and then um, you know we can start asking some of these questions that we think are threshold questions about who's involved and do you have a high-up um, administrative, administra- city administration champion? Do you have okay. public-private partnerships? Do you have um, <clears throat> any level of deal flow that you're aware of? Those kinds of questions, um, and uh, we would be—you know—we're happy to talk to anybody who thinks they might have a city that would be a good candidate
1: and and we will have sorry adina we, we will have when we when we launch hopefully by the end of january on our website which is cdfifriendlyamerica.com um, we will have some brief explanation but also a one pager that sort of tells people what what's involved so that they can have an initial you know Mm -hmm. self-assessment if you will Um, and then we are also working on a longer paper around the the model that will use both uh, Bloomington and South Bend as sort of case studies um, because there were some differences and some significant differences and we're learning as a lot as we go Um, but we'll also um, you know explain the model and and include some some guidance for any community that wants to think about this and yeah but it, it is not you know there's nothing this is not a uh, th- this, this requires customized solutions. So as Adina mm-hmm. said, the, the real goal here is to get them to, to talk to us. I assume on the website we can put up our email addresses and our phone numbers and things um, sure. you know, for, for folks to do that. But um, you know, we, um, um, you know, in, I'll just give one, one email address for here. Info at mpinsky.com will get you to us um, and we can start that conversation.
0: Perfect. Yeah, and we'll make sure to get those uh, you know, contact information up on impactlenderspodcast.com as well for Great. our listeners. That's um, now, what if you're a CDFI uh, who is uh, in a small city and maybe you just lend in one sector? Say you're a small business CDFI, but you, you see that there's a lot of need in the housing sector, for example. Might that city be something that's, that's poised to become a, a CDFI-friendly city, or is that not really the, the focus?
2: Sure they could oh that's definitely one of the challenges that we see is that if you start your own CDFI it's probably only going to serve one sector and there's probably needs in other sectors so that would definitely be another situation where we would be interested in, in talking to people
1: absolutely Great. and one of the, one of the things we've already heard from some friends, CDfi leaders who um, are working in communities in one case, a fairly large city um, where they're committed to working together, but they they they, they asked whether we could come in and help sort of do some training and education for the folks in the community. Oh, interesting. In city, yeah. Just just to help them understand, because that'll take some friction out too, and it's sort of potentially a one-time investment that pays dividends for years. But you know, we haven't we haven't done that yet. But that's certainly a role that we could play. Our primary focus, I think, remains. Though um, the 50 to 250, 50,000 to 250,000 okay. community, because we think that that is really, you know, expanding the ability of CDFIs to provide their product coverage in more places, um, with, you know, as efficiently and productively as possible, is critical for the CDFIs to be able to grow. We think, but it's mm-hmm. also critical for. Um, you know, for, for, for our nation. We just, CDFIs are an incredible national resource in my, in my opinion, in our opinion. And um, if we can find a way to connect them to more communities that can use them, um, I think everybody wins.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so that that kind of is the big picture here. So, so when I step back and think about, uh, you know, why this project for you guys? You know, I have no doubt you both can keep yourselves busy without CDFI Friendly America, but there's something about it that really, Uh, Makes you passionate about it. So give me the big picture here. Why are you doing this and why are you doing it now?
2: Well, for me, I've always had this passion about geographic coverage in the CDFI world. It's very arbitrary where there are and are not Mm. CDFIs. And it usually had to do with uh, whether or not there was a charismatic person who caught on to this idea in sometime between 1985 and 1995 or 2000. Is that right? um, you know, it, that's very idiosyncratic, and yet there are low-income people everywhere. So um, I, I've always felt like we needed a way to sort of even it out, spread it out, um, yeah. um, get more areas, um, have more areas have coverage, and have fewer areas uh, be, I guess, what you would call CDFI deserts. So this is just another tool to make that happen, and I'm very excited about it. But as you mentioned, I just want to be clear, I am continuing consulting for change and doing that strategic planning work, but this yep. is a, a big new commitment of mine.
1: I, I would just add to that that I think CDFIs <laughs> are, um, you know, I've had the good fortune to work in the CDFI industry for almost 30 years, and Adina is a little more than that. And there are extraordinary people and extraordinary organizations doing things that, you know, I've said for years, they do impossible things every day, and, and people don't quite get it. I think CDFIs are, um underutilized in a sense and i think if we can help them be more efficient more productive and do more of what they already do um, i think that that um, that may be you know uh, one of the best ways to increasing the already significant impact of the industry but it's also one of the ways to grow what the cdfi you know the cdfi industry has continued to grow beyond everybody's expectations um, and I think it will continue to grow beyond everybody's expectations, but you know, you've got to have, a, you've got to have markets where you're putting the money and um, you know, the more markets there are in a sense, you know, competing for that money, the better. Um, so I, I think there's a real potential here to um, you know, 10 X what the CDFI industry has been doing for 10 years or so.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It just seems like a really powerful way to kind of, Uh, you know, reduce the barriers to get CDFIs into the places they're needed most and and what better cause than that. So uh, I I wish you both the best of luck as you get it going and we'll look forward to watching your progress this year. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Yeah. We're excited about
1: it. Thanks.
0: This podcast is brought to you by High Impact Financial Analysis. We help mission-focused lenders build and maintain high-performing impact portfolios through our underwriting, portfolio analysis, and general consulting services. Find out more at www.highimpactanalysis.com and follow us on Twitter at High Impact FA. The views and opinions expressed on the Impact Lenders podcast are the speaker's own and do not necessarily represent the views of High Impact or other organizations. Until next time, thanks for listening.